Amen, amen. Good evening, church. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you, Sean. Much appreciated. Yes, and Dom, the guy hiding in the sound booth back there. So tonight we're going to take a break from Exodus. We're going to be in Psalm 77. And uh, when we broke up the chapters, I, I wasn't there for that meeting, so they assigned the chapters, and I said, okay, what chapter am I preaching on? When I came back, they're like, oh, whatever you want to do, because we already, we have a few of them lined up. So uh, a psalm that I spent a little time in, and, and if I be honest, uh, some of my counseling, what I do is, before I meet with people, you, you talk, with them, talk with them a little bit on the phone, and I like to give them a little bit of scripture before we sit down for them to meditate on, and this is one that I commonly uh, assign to, to people before we meet. And it's, it's a psalm of Asaph. It's a psalm that begins with a lamentation and ends with a celebration, as do the psalms of David and other psalms that we read. But uh, I think we can really relate to it because in the middle there, we, we will learn, we see how what began as a lament uh, results in rejoicing and in celebration. So I'd like us to really see the in-between part and how Asaph kind of works all that in. He kind of works through that, or right? kind of fleshes it out. And as we go through it, I believe you can, all of us can relate to this. Any of us that have been around long enough, uh, you know, can relate to it. We've all had our ups and downs. We've all had our good times. We've all had our bad times, times of prosperity. Uh, we've all been in a place of certainty. And what I mean by that is when we are certain of God's will, um, there's times that we, if I could say it this way, that we may feel disconnected uh, from our Lord. And uh, maybe even times of, of, of lacking. Um, and again, just being uncertain of what really is, is going on in our life at that time. Uh, we've rejoiced and we've worshipped Him on the mountaintop. Amen. We've even tried to rejoice and worship Him in the valley. But for some reason, we don't seem to be getting out of that valley at times. We, we try and we sing thanksgiving to God, thanksgiving for His grace and for His mercies while we may have been in that valley or maybe we are in that place right now where it seems that that place is void of God's grace and God's mercy. Our thoughts can go to places like, has, has God rejected me? Has he even left me? We may even begin to compare our, our time of trial to the pleasantness and more comfortable times in our past. We can even drag ourselves down to the point of being depressed and, and distressed. I'm pretty sure we've all been there or maybe you're in that place tonight. Either way, I think we will all find help in this psalm of Asaph, Psalm 77, where he gives the account of how, during a difficult time, he learned to deal with his distress that caused him to go to a mentally, emotionally, and spiritually dark place, a place that is void of God's peace and rest. And we'll see how he, again, how he finds, again, that peace and rest. So if you would please stand in honor of reading God's word, we're going to read 
the entire psalm, 77. We read, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has his anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, I will, appear, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So we see the psalmist starts out being, he's being, he's distressed. He's, he's even, maybe even depressed. And I, I was, I asked Sharon yesterday, what, come, what comes to mind when you think of, when you hear the word distress? What thoughts? And we talked about it briefly, and we came up with, uh, out, when things are out of control, when I find myself in a place, in a situation where I need help, and when, when we hear the word distress, I don't know if you're like, like, like Sharon was thinking, she, she said, I think of like, a, like an aircraft or a boat or ship that they're in trouble and, and, and they're going to crash or there's a storm or, you know, and they send out a distress signal. They're in a situation that they cannot help themselves, that they need someone else to come and help them. So again, in a situation where we need help, a situation where I can find no peace, that I am restless. What are rest and peace? I believe there are a place where no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening in our life, that we are not consumed by despair nor controlled by anxiety or worry, which leads to being depressed or in distress. In this psalm, Asaph eventually finds rest and peace by remembering God correctly. 
We'll see how he reflects, he resolves, he remembers, and finally, the result of rejoicement as he recounts a good and gracious God. So I've, I've titled tonight's message, Remember to Rest. There's a hyphen in there. Remember to Rest. And we'll see how that comes together. Let us pray for this message. Lord God, thank you, dear Lord, for bringing us all here tonight. I thank you, uh, dear Lord, for how you've shown me, reminded me, Lord God, how uh, at times we need to flesh out, work out our salvation, Lord God. And also the reassurance, Lord God, of your sovereign providence and your power over your creation and your love for your people, Lord God, your care, your mercy towards us, Lord God. We are so thankful for that. So, Lord, as we go through this passage tonight, I pray, Lord God, that you would speak through me, that your truth would come forward, and that our hearts, Lord God, will receive it, and that, Lord God, we will find comfort, we will find rest, we will find peace, that we would apply this to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to start out with the first three verses. The psalmist says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out. Without wearying, my soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. Asaph turns to God. He has the confidence. He knows who to go to, right? We know when we have a tough time, we're in a place that we're uncomfortable, we don't necessarily like. We understand that we need to turn to God. And that's what he does here. He turns to God much in the same confidence that that David would have turned to God. We read in Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Again, a confidence in knowing who God is. And also in Psalm 34, beginning in verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. So again, we know like this psalmist, God, we know God hears us. Amen. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. Not one of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Amen. Again, that last verse speaking about salvation. But verse 17, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Sometimes we might read a verse like that and say, Yeah, but why am I still going through what I'm going through? Well, what He means there is that God is with us. Amen. God, as we learn in His Word... He takes His people through, right? Doesn't take us around, doesn't take us out. He takes us through. So again, let's look at verse 1. The psalmist says, 
I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. Again, that confidence. He's saying, I will make my situation, my need known to God. Not that God is unaware, but I have not, for I ask not. So I will cry on my father's shoulder. I will leave my burden with him as I seek deliverance and refuge in him. How many times do we do that in prayer, that we cry out to our Lord? We know that he knows what we're going through, yet he asks us to cry out to him as we become more aware of our situation and more sensitive. And because I know that he hears me, I know he listens to me. That's why the psalmist cries out. That's why we cry out. And we need to take comfort and have confidence, my brothers and sisters, that God hears you, even when it seems like he may not. And we we know that because his word says so. A a scripture from uh, the book of John, chapter 9, verse 31. We read, We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Amen? He hears you and I. The psalmist continues in verse 2. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord... In the night, my hand stretched out without wearying, but my soul refuses to be comforted. We're not exactly sure what Asaph was going through or what may have happened to him, but he is constantly seeking the face of God, we see here. He says, in the day and in the night. Sometimes the distresses, the distress or the pain caused by our trouble does not shed as quickly or as easily as we may like. It may begin to weigh on us. It may be the loss of a loved one. It may be the bank account that is running lower and lower. The child who is wayward and renounces the existence of God or maybe receiving the diagnosis that you've been dreading. Whatever it may be, it is possible, and we heard, we heard John even mention it this morning, that it may continue. It may go on for a, a good portion of our life. It may go on for the rest of our life. God may choose not to remove it, change it, or move us out of it. All Asaph can do is cry out to the Lord. It says that he has his arms lifted high, that he's outstretched to God. Why is it that sometimes God allows circumstances to continue, seeming he has no interest in what's happening in my life right now? I need a tangible affirmation. I need God. I need you to show me that you are with me. And the psalmist is not not getting that. We may begin to ask ourselves, am I even doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I really laying it down, submitting it, surrendering it, in obedience, trusting God. That's where the psalmist is at. The psalmist, again, holding or stretching out his hands upward is a sign of him, again, continually praying. And it says he was not growing weary. At this point, he's, not, he's refusing to be consumed with despair. Haven't you ever prayed so hard and so much for something, yet God may be delaying his answer. That you simply want to give up. 
That's where he's at. He says, my soul refused to be comforted. Perhaps, just like Asaph, you felt that you've been faithful. You've been obedient, placing your trust in God. Just as Paul instructed the church of Philippi, chapter 4, verse 6, familiar verse, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests may, may be known to God. I've done that, yet there's no change. There's no improvement. I am still stuck in this. We can all relate to Asaph. We can all relate with him. When I, he says, when I remember God, I moan. He's literally saying, I complain. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah, he is overwhelmed. When I remember God, I complain. Has it ever been so hard that you've complained to God? I have. I do. That's where this man is at. We can empathize with him. Asaph, he spent. He spent mentally, physically, spiritually. He has nothing left in his tank. I, I think of a picture of, a, of someone hanging on by their fingertips, like on the edge of a cliff or a building, just trying to dig him in and hang on. He says, my soul refuses to be comforted. I cannot find rest. He cannot find relief nor escape becoming, dis- becoming consumed by his distress. Listen to what it says in the, the Boyce Expositional Commentary about Charles Spurgeon's comments of the, on this psalm. It says this, During the final 20 years of his life, Charles Spurgeon Spurgeon health deteriorated. He had neuralgia and gout, which left him with swollen, red, painful limbs so that he frequently could not walk or even write. He had debilitating headaches, and with these physical ills came frightful bouts of depression, leading almost to despair. Some of us know what it is, both physically and spiritually, to be compelled to use these words. No respite has been afforded us by the silence of the night, or our bed has been a rack to us. Our body has been in torment and our spirit in anguish. Alas, my God, the writer of this exposition well knows what thy servant Asaph meant, for this soul is familiar with the way of grief. Deep glens or deep valleys and lonely caves of soul depressions. My spirit knows full well your awful glooms. Again, Spurgeon saying, I can empathize with the psalmist. Like Spurgeon, some of us can also empathize with Asaph in his distress, maybe even in his depression. And I'm sorry if, if what I'm saying uh, takes you back and picks at some old wounds. That is not my intent, but... Hang on, and we'll see how we can get to the rest in peace. Notice in the first three verses, all that he has used uh, were five times he used the word I with the pronouns me and my twice. There's nothing special about them or necessarily wrong, uh, uh, wrong with that other than just like 
the psalmist, you and I, tend to express our disappointments. There's nothing wrong with that. It's almost therapeutic. It is therapeutic. The Bible calls that bearing one another's burdens, that we come alongside each other. But we can't stop here. We can't just go vent and dump. It won't change anything. We need to move forward. We need to continue in spite of what's happening. But how? Just hang in there. The psalmist remembered God in his trouble, yet he's still suffering. He's unable to find comfort in the God who brought prosperity and victory in his past, to Israel even. His circumstance hasn't changed for the better. Haven't there been times in your life and mine when we press into God and our distress has not changed? Maybe it's even become aggravated, just like with Asaph. This is a terrible place to find ourselves. It can produce fear or even anger towards God. I've been there. I've sh- shaken my fist at God to the point where I... And Sharon will tell you it's true. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Why haven't you done what you're supposed to do, God? Why hasn't anything changed? I've called upon your name and sought comfort and help. I remembered you, God. Why haven't you remembered me? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. Whom the psalmist believed to be his source for help and deliverance to overcome the situation, God is not responding, or at least not the way the psalmist expects him to. His thoughts of God turned bitter because Asaph is actually not remembering the sovereign, providential, omnipresent God, but rather he's feeling sorry for himself. Asking, why, God, are you being so hard on me? I never really realized that till I studied this. But he is. He's, he's having a pity party. His eyes, me's, and my's continue. In verse 4, he says, You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Just like we read in Genesis, right? Asaph blames who? He blames God. Remember Adam, the woman you sent me. He's blaming, Asaph is blaming God for his sleeplessness. You hold my eyelids open. He's such a mess that he's even unable to pray. He's saying, I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Haven't we blamed God? In this case, he's, he's saying a lack of sleep for his trouble? Haven't we blamed God for fill fill in the blank, whatever it might be? I'm reading. I'm praying. I'm meditating. I'm even singing. Yet yet nothing is changing. If my situation isn't going to change, God, I just want a little bit of peace. I just want some rest. I want a break from this misery. Amen? Have you ever said to yourself, let me think on more positive things 
Like when times are better. Let me remember the goodness of God. There's nothing wrong with remembering the goodness of God. Well, that's what Asaph does. He begins to reminisce about the good old days when things were peaceful and prosperous. Verse 5, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I have considered, he's thought about, he's pondered it. He's meditated on it. The days of old. Again, referring to the good old days in his life past. The good times he experienced. The times he felt right with God. The times he felt that connection. Again, if I could say it that way. God's presence. Even God's delivering him from situations. He goes on, he says, the years long ago. The years long ago, most likely he's referring to Israel's time in Egypt and their exodus and God redeeming them, taking them across the Red Sea. Yet he finds no rest for his soul. As much as he presses in and recounts God's goodness towards him, he finds no rest. But he continues to reminisce in verse 6. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. In the first part of this verse, the psalmist recalls the sweet songs of thanksgiving he sang during better times. But compared to the present distress, he ponders the difference in his heart from then to now. It's like, why am I, was I able to praise him then but not now? He begins to look inward. How often do you and I take the time to stop and examine how we are responding to a particular situation? Am I having that little pity party? Oh, yes, I do. And if you have, did you come to the conclusion that you are not truly trusting God? Or maybe not as much now that, in, that I'm in the valley as I did when I was on the mountaintop. Do I ask myself, well, why is that? We may at times feel as Asaph did, where God may seem far off, but He isn't. We know that, don't we? We know Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. I know we know this, but we need to continue trusting. God is with you. He is aware of what's happening. He hears you. You are His child. Even when it seems as though He does not hear or answer as we would like. We must take the focus off of self, right? That pity party and my circumstances, and place it on God. He is faithful, faithful, and the God that we know. Again, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But this is, and this is what Asaph has begun to do. Again, he's still lamenting, but Asaph begins 
a process of shifting his focus. Watch as he reasons with himself. We see how he reflects on who God is. He does this by asking himself several rhetorical questions as he reflects on who God is. He has begun to shift, again, his thoughts from himself to having thoughts towards God in these verses. The first of three questions, okay? Yeah, three. Three. Verse 7, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? He's saying, Has the Lord rejected me forever? Or maybe he's even saying, How can God turn his back on me? He will not. He cannot. This is against God's nature and everlasting covenant with his people. Amen? Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Amen. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his, and his faithfulness to all generations. And lastly, Romans 14, verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We belong to the Lord. And He will never, never reject you. Amen? The second question He asked. Again, all rhetorical. Has His steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Have God's promises and love come to an end? It's almost like but he's saying, but, but you promised God. You, you, you don't even love me anymore. No, his promises have not come to an end. And no, he has not stopped loving you. Exodus 34, 6 the Lord passed before him, again Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is faithful to his people. Amen? Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And 1 Peter 1.25, But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. God's words which contain His promises and demonstrations of love will never, ever cease. His word is never ending, never failing. It's always faithful. And the third question he he asks, Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? Selah. See, he's thinking, God, God must be punishing me. Have God's mercies been depleted? No, they have not. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. We are God's children. Amen.
We are his adopted sons and daughters. He will never forget us. It's likely this psalm was written during the the Babylonian exile. Uh, It is during this time that the prophet Jeremiah makes the same determination that Asaph uh, did in in the remaining verses that we're going to read. Uh, Jeremiah is recorded saying this in Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Amen? So when we're in that valley, when we're in that difficult time, let us remember, you know, we always say His mercies are new every morning. Well, we have to remind ourselves every day sometimes, maybe a few times a day, that God does love me. God is merciful. God has not forgotten me. If we're in there for a little bit, a, a little bit of time, for a minute, right, we need to remember that. We need to recall that. And, and, and here is where he ends his lament at verse 9. In verses 10 to 12 is where Asaph resolves to to rest in the Lord. So he reflected on who God was, who God is, and now he's resolving to rest in the Lord and not in his circumstances. That's where we need to find ourselves. It's not what's going on around me. I need to get to a point, or God may get me to a point that's a... You know what, God, no matter what's happening, I know you're with me, I know you're for me, I know you're not against me, so there is no better place to be because you have me here for your sake, amen? For my sanctification and for your sake. So we need, like Asaph, need to resolve to rest in the Lord and not in the circumstances. This is his turning point. No matter what is going on in my life, I resolve to find rest and peace in God alone, knowing the God of the universe, the God who reveals himself to me in his word. In verse 10, he says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. What he means is that the everlasting, merciful, and living God has authority and control over his creation. Therefore, he will wait upon the Lord's right hand, the right hand that fought for Israel. Psalm 44, verses 2 and 3. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. This is what Asaph was hinging on. The Lord's strength, the Lord's power, the Lord's sovereignty. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, why? 
for you delighted in them. God delights in you. Amen? God delights in you. In verse 10, we see, again, Asaph, he's really at a crossroads, and he pivots his thoughts, again, from self-pity to trusting and resting in God. And we learn from from Psalm 77 that the the, the distress or depression we may find ourselves experiencing at times is not necessarily not necessarily the result of my situation but the result of what or who we determine to set our thoughts on do we set them on self or am i setting them on god and who he is we also learn that it is not until we realize this and choose to remember who God is and what He has done that we begin to have and experience true rest and peace. In verses 11 and 12, we see the evidence that Asaph, the child of God, just like you and I, has determined himself to endure and persevere as he trusts in God's sovereignty. He says, In verse 11 and 12, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Taking his thoughts captive. Setting our minds on the things that are from above. Setting our minds on Christ. Amen? Again, earlier... In the first half, Asaph remembered God's works of prosperity, of protection in the past, and and, and the absence of God's working in his current distress. Now, again, from verse 10 on here, he has resolved again to rest in the greatness and sovereign majesty of God. Asaph ponders God's mighty deeds rather than pondering his circumstances that aren't changing. We are encouraged to make this same determination throughout Scripture. Verse 145, verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Asaph has chosen. Have we chosen to rest in the everlasting arms of Christ instead of focusing on the temporal circumstances that we have? So he's reflected he is resolved. Asap now determines to remember the God he knows. To remember the God he knows. And that's what that hyphen comes in, right? Remember to rest. I took this actually from a, an article from Table Talk magazine. The word remember literally means to put the members back together in one piece. Now think about everything we know about God. And in our time of turmoil or distress, how those things become scattered. It's like the, they just don't fit together. Right? What is the opposite of remember? To dismember. That's what happens, right? When, we, when we're controlled by our distress. To forget is to leave ourselves in pieces. To be individually taken apart and corporately scattered. So how do we put those pieces back together? 
How do we make the truths we know and believe about God our focus? We remember. We put it back together when we do things, when we observe what the Bible, the ordinances that the Bible instructs us to observe. We observe the Sabbath. We observe the Lord's Supper. We, have, we observe baptism. Okay, These observances were instituted for that very reason. That we remember, that we take everything in, put it into, you know, into unity, into one concise knowledge of who we know God to be by His Word, that we remember, we gather our thoughts and shift our desires from self to the selfless Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't, I hope I don't sound like, like well, this, this is all you do. We, we, I think we know that this is difficult. This is trying. It's not, it's not a one and done, okay? It's something we need to flesh out. We need to work through, work into our lives. And in, in, in verses 13 to 15, we see the psalmist shares three attributes of God that will help us to remember, to focus, and place Christ back on the throne of our hearts. We'll see three attributes he mentions is a holy God, that we have a great God, and that we have a caring God. A holy God, a great God, and a caring God. Verse 13, Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? So the first one, I have to remember that God is a holy God. All right, holy, set apart. He's set apart from us, right? God's ways are above all other ways. He says in His Word, neither are your ways my ways, right? Neither are your thoughts my thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God's ways are distinct from man's. They're separate. Especially when we do not understand the hows and whys of God, we trust that in His holiness we can rest. He is in control. He is sovereign and providential. Asaph believes that since all God did in the past was upright, that even what He does in the present, that He may not understand what's happening, that that also is going to be upright. This is the place where we learn to take courage and trust God. This, number two, I have to remember that God is a great God. The second part of verse 13, I have to remember that God is a great God, that God is, you know, it says, he says, what God is great like our God? Israel did this in the song of Moses, amen? We read it in Exodus chapter 15 and then again in Revelation that God is just, and God is merciful towards His people and gracious. And there is no other God like our God. Isaiah 44, 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Never mind no other God. There are no other gods. He's the only God. Amen? There is no God. 
Earlier, Asaph remembered the deeds, the mighty works and miracles of God. Whose God is like our God? No God. There is none. There is none. In verse 14, he says, You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. Maybe this is another reference to Exodus, their deliverance, their redemption out of Egypt. God protecting his people for all to see. Psalm 106, verse 8, we read, Yet he saved them for his namesake, that he might make known his mighty power. God does what he does for his sake. Not for my sake or your sake, but for his glory. Amen? That we would be a witness, whether it's on the mountain or the valley, that God's mercy, God's grace, God's power, God's authority would be displayed to the world and to one another, to the church. And, the, and, and verse 15, You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The third thing I have to remember, I have a caring God. He redeemed Israel. He redeemed you and I. He cares for us. He loves us. Exodus 6.6, 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. A holy God, a great God, a caring God. Again, the, the, the Boyce Expositional Commentary says this, Therefore, about this psalm, Therefore, if God is caring as well as powerful and sovereign, He can be counted, he can be counted on to work in each detail of history for His people's good. And this means that even allowing the psalmist to fall into the depression with which the psalm began is not carelessness on God's part, but rather a part of His total loving plan. This is practical theology of the best sort, for it reasons from the immutable character of God to purpose for His acts in history and takes comfort from such truths. God does what He does. He commands His creation. It's for His sake, for His glory. And ultimately our good, that we will one day be with Him. So we are to reflect on who God is. He's a covenant-keeping God who will never forsake us. You are to make resolve, to determine, to rest in God by holding fast to Him, trusting as we ponder His works and His attributes. And we are to remember to bring our thoughts captive, focusing on the God whom we know He is holy, great, and caring. And lastly, we rejoice in the results. In the rest and peace of the Lord, we can rejoice. We read in Psalm 9, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. And that's right now where Asaph finds himself. I will give thanks to the Lord in spite of what I'm going through and for what I'm going through. I will give thanks 
with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. And that's what he does in verses 16 to 20. He says, When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. Where they, they could see no way, God made a way. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Abraham. Amen. So we see the psalmist there declaring the goodness of God, declaring and giving thanks for the God who commands creation, the God who spoke creation into existence, the God who breathed life into you and I. That is the God who cares. That is the God who loves. That is the God we reflect on, that we resolve to trust Him, the one that we Remember that we take everything captive and bring it under Him and under what we know about Him in spite of what's happening or what's happened. God is on the throne. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. My Father, my God, thank You so much for reminding me of Your goodness, dear Lord, for reminding us of Your faithfulness, for reminding us that we belong to You. We are yours. And Lord, whether it's on the mountain or in the valley or somewhere in between, everything that comes into our life is for your sake. You are with us in the times of prosperity. You are with us in the dry times. You are with us in, even in our consequences, Lord. So Father, for those that may find themselves in this, in a valley like the psalmist, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray, Lord God, that they would hold you close, that they would hold fast to the living God and trust you that all this is but a vapor. And we have the promise of eternity. Before we know it, this will pass and we'll be face to face with our King. And it is that we look forward to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kind of reminds me of like Revelation chapter 4. We're given a picture of the throne room and uh, the different things, the floor of glass, many different things of the description. But the main focus of the room is who is on the throne, right? Who are they worshiping? Who are they saying holy, holy, holy to? It's who is on the throne, and that's our God. So let's stand, and we're going to sing the solid rock, because my hope is built on nothing less.
I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils His loving face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath is covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone. Faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Other ground is sinking sand. Amen. Be blessed.